Welcome to the See Me Be Me podcast. I'm Nile Henry. And I'm Blair Henry. And we're two brothers who set out on a mission to make motorsport and STEM careers more diverse, affordable, and inclusive. We are the founders of The Blair Project. This podcast series delves into the minds of inspirational individuals who come from ordinary and often humble backgrounds, but through their belief, dogged determination and never give up attitude, I managed to overcome academic, social or mental challenges to achieve their dream careers. Our guests will share their life lessons that you too can apply to your own. We hope their stories will inspire you to go further, aim higher and accept nothing less than you deserve. Your ambition, your purpose is all within and we're here to help you unlock it. The planet of possibilities are endless. Hello and welcome to the See Me Be Me podcast. Today we are joined by Amma Gaffer, who is a director at the Manchester Fuel Cell Innovation Centre, which is a, a new four million pound net zero research and development centre. And Amma is We've known him for a very long time, sustainability professional, you know, an absolute legend. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Anna. Thank you. Um, and first of all, thank you for having me on. I think it's uh, a really, really good time for sustainability and uh, the sector. So I'm really, really looking forward to this podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. So Anna, first thing, Manchester Fuel Cell Innovation Centre. Tell us. The background, how it got started, and you know a little bit about the purpose of it. Okay, so I mean I've been involved in sustainability net zero related projects for around twenty three years. So wind, solar, and then I was a, I was a consultant for multiple years in going into organisations that had a plan around sustainability. Uh, so that might have been a building plan. So if you take the context of Manchester Met, it was. They were spending lots of money on new buildings. And so I was brought in as a consultant to look at those buildings and uplift things that were to things that were more sustainable. So that's like LED lighting, combined heat and power systems. And I tried to install a hydrogen fuel cell into one of the university campus buildings. And everything I did previously had to have a certain payback period. Because for me, many, many years, sustainability only made sense or only people who were doing it were the ones who really believed in it, or it still had to make some level of commercial sense. When I tried to put the hydrogen fuel cell in, it didn't make any commercial sense because the, the expense of it was so high. But what it did do is it gave me the idea of what could really drive the agenda for technology like hydrogen fuel cells in a region like Greater Manchester. So what we effectively did is I proposed, uh, put together an idea to create a hydrogen partnership which was a new partnership which the city region hadn't seen before. So it was the university leading it with Greater Manchester Combined Authority, Manchester Airport, Transport for Greater Manchester, some smaller businesses and some larger businesses with a vested interest in seeing where this technology could go. We set up four key areas, energy, transport, research and skills. Those were the four key sort of milestones that we had to sort of deliver to. So if you take research... The idea was then born for what was required for the city region. And that was that we didn't have an R&D facility that completely focused on developing this technology and supporting supply chain businesses. So 
there goes, there was effectively where the start of the idea for the Fuel Cell Innovation Centre was created. And then you can't just build a centre like this without having the, the academic base to sort of back up the ideas that you want to develop with these businesses. So what we did then is we looked across the university spectrum and saw there was a brilliant expertise in surface engineering, brilliant expertise in smart energy systems, some brilliant expertise in around electrochemistry. There was some voids, which when you put together a business case, it was we needed investment into a capital facility, but we also needed investment into people as well. So when the idea was then put towards you know, the combined authority and to kind of create that partnership, everyone really, really supported the idea. And when the right funding call came around, which was the European Regional Development Fund, which was about increasing the science asset base of Greater Manchester, we then um, put forward a proposal to create this facility and we were successful in the award. Then a business case went to the university leadership team. They approved it and we kind of got on with the journey, which it wasn't an instant journey because the spatial requirement for a facility like this is quite tough. So we wanted to align it to other areas of research and the area that was allocated was the fifth floor of a tower block in the centre of Manchester and you're building a hydrogen lab. So it took about 18 months, I'd say, to get from award through to the actual facility being built. And then there were still reservations by the fact that there was a complete lack of standards for certain things. And yeah. when you're talking about gases, you have to over-engineer a lab of that nature. And it was, but it has been built and it supported over 100 plus businesses who were at various different degrees of their sort of supply chain opportunity. That officially all happened in 2018. But since then, we've, alongside that, recognised that it's not just about, you know, academic research. It's about research and development with businesses. It's the fact that there was an emerging policy area for hydrogen in the UK. And it's yeah. not just the UK. This is now a global endeavour. So... Three years later, we're now in a position, or three years later, the UK hydrogen strategy came out. That really sort of put the afterburners on what we were doing because we have like an archetype, a roadmap to follow. And that gives the assurance to businesses and actually for people to think, I want a career in this sector. And if I'm honest, for the first, out of the 23 years, for the first 10, it was my job. I didn't even... You know, it wasn't even, it's not about sustainability. Yeah, I talk about sustainability, but let's be honest. Did I actually believe in sustainability? No, I drove a sports car. That's the honest to God truth. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this is great. It's a job. When I got to the university, I think my mindset started to change because you saw, you know, thousands of students wandering around. You meet people who are like-minded. We met. And, you know, it's the fact that I think you, you can learn something off everyone. Um we are really, really looking to sort of push the agenda for net zero and then find hydrogen's role within that. And if you look at, you know, the broad-based brush, which is hydrogen, the market's huge. So if you look at it, it's not just about talking about a gas. It's about doing the stuff we do, which is fuel cells, electrolyzers. But then other institutions or other R&D facilities are looking at hydrogen pipelines. They're looking at storage of hydrogen, they're looking at multiple different areas, and that value chain suddenly gets a lot, lot larger. So then what we also did is look at the ambition around skills. So we set up one of the world's first 
targeted programs of hygiene education, but for school children. That is now delivered in 10 countries. There was over 600 teachers that were involved in the development of it. The, it you needed, how can you expect teachers to teach about hydrogen if they're not taught about hydrogen? Again, that's a broader sort of ambition around net zero. How can you expect people to understand what their role in a net zero economy is if they don't understand what net zero is and what the, the idea uh, of a net zero is? Because it's about different disciplines. If you take a business as a core business, an idea of businesses that we both probably work with, we all work with, you've got a CEO, you know, they sign off on a net zero strategy. Do they really know what they're signing off on? So how do you deliver a net zero strategy for your business? You've then got a finance director that is basically signing the checks for the net zero ambitions of a business. Do they know what net zero is? You bring that, lay that down to each and every single business function. And the, when I look at it, the ones that are actively sort of looking at it is dedicated sustainability teams or it's legal compliance teams. Yeah. Procurement teams are starting to look into this because when they have to report on emissions, scope one and two is relatively easy. Scope three makes this serious playtime because then it's about where do you buy your goods and services from? You know, local supply chains. It's all about creating those local supply chains. Take an energy vector like hydrogen, the International Energy Agency, you know, they're claiming that from the research they've done, 75% of all hydrogen projects will be produced and used locally, whereas 25% is about exporting. So you need to create those local supply chains. Then from a combined authorities perspective, you know their ambition is around, we have to hit 2038 net zero. Hydrogen now is gonna play a role because that's what the plans have played a role in. We are one of the only city regions across the UK that have a dedicated and approved hydrogen and fuel cell strategy. That's done through a national lens. So that's something I wrote, which kind of looked at the national ambition and then created a local dimension to that national ambition, saying, what strengths do we already have? Well, we've got this hydrogen partnership, which has existed for over 10 years. We've now got this dedicated R&D facility. We've got these 100 plus businesses that are in and around the region that have got some involvement in hydrogen. And obviously, the Blair Project was one of them. Yeah. And then understanding how these businesses can feature into a potential national program, because then it suddenly gets a bit, bit every, every sort of project makes this whole piece a larger puzzle because you need finance mechanisms to deliver these projects. There, there are going to be costly projects. You need to understand where, where your expertise would lie. So I'm the director of a, of a research center, but I'm not an academic. Yeah. The only reason why I'm a director of an R&D facility like this is because it's about businesses. It's about supporting business need. I'm a sustainability expert. I call myself one of them because I've done it for 23 years. Did I have a clue I wanted to come into this sector? No. My first, you know, this is giving away my age now, but I'm you know, three years off 50. So um, when I first got involved in the work, You look world, good, buddy. Well, you know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> anyway, continue, continue. Yeah, I think it's getting involved in sustainability. I got in it, involved in it completely by accident. But I think that's all right, because even now, you know, 2023, people are still getting involved into the areas of work that they get involved in, either by accident or just for the fact that they've landed a job that is a secure job. But I think the interest in sustainability has never been higher. Now, understanding what role you could do within 
I think we shouldn't just talk about hydrogen. We should be talking about net zeros at our end game. That's what yeah. ultimately we want to do. We've talked about sustainability for 20 plus years. Last three, four, five years, we've started to focus in on net zero. We get announcements, you know, you, you take the government announcement that they're going to, they're not saying we're canning net zero at all. We, we, all they've said is we're going back to a date that was already agreed by pre, by the previous prime minister and the way kind of it's politics. You can't expect businesses to stop their journey on net zero because it's a it's a long, long road to deliver net zero. It's an expensive road, but it's also a road which is filled with the biggest amount of opportunity, the largest opportunity that this country has probably seen since the Industrial Revolution, because it is that big. Because you talk about transport, energy, those are two of the biggest markets in the world. That's what net zero has got to affect. You've got to talk about buildings. You've got to talk about skills. We talk about 95 plus percent of all renewable energy projects that are in planning. And I'm specifically talking, say, somewhere around the hydrogen. What happens when they come out of planning? Who's going to deliver them? So you need to think we've got an R&D facility. We've got a policy framework that is suitable for our region. Then we've got to really hone down on the skills agenda. And it's not just about the university sector. It's about bringing that supply chain together. That's an ambition, which is probably bigger than a net zero ambition because with 2023, we've still got a problem with retrofit skills. We've still got a problem with digital skills. We have not solved any skills challenge. There is a looming one around net zero, but there's a looming one. There's always a looming one. What we need to do is bring together that supply chain and that's ask the businesses what type of skills they want to recruit. And they might not know, that's okay. So then you work with them to then bring together the education sector, which includes specialist you know, training providers, the type of training that you guys do. It's phenomenal. And it should be provided to everyone to understand where they can go to get support. If you're interested in a university undergraduate career, and even for me, it was challenging. You know, I've, my eldest son's just gone to university and he, he didn't want to do anything to do with hydrogen. I think I've put him off. But he wanted to do something around economics, but that's all right because sustainable finance is going to be huge. And when you start breaking up the skills that are required to deliver net zero, we should be talking about every single job is a green job. There's no getting away from it because whether it's STEM-based skills, because STEM-based subjects are quite well covered, what we think we probably need to do is probably just enhance them to look at them with a lens that is around sustainability and net zero. So if I take pick on a, a course, and I tend to pick on this course quite a lot, electrical engineering, it hasn't changed in shape or form for many years, whichever institution you've looked, you look at it as. It almost needs to be now electrical engineering with a net zero lens because electricity, no matter how you produce it, it's just flow of electrons. It's an understanding which technology vectors are going to make a real play towards net zero because unless someone invents something that is astronomically brilliant yeah. we kind of know 80 90 percent of the technologies that are going to get us to net zero if there's investment there we can deliver net zero very quickly because it always boils down to investment but it's that's investment in people as well and so the range of projects that that i'm, I'm involved in is one an r d center there's a policy sort of framework around hydrogen and the role for a city region like Greater Manchester, that policy was written to create a vision. That vision says, what do we want a hydrogen Greater Manchester to look like? Well, we want a big focal 
hydrogen facility in the middle. So a couple of years ago, we partnered with a company called Calton Power, who have put together a proposition to create UK's largest green hydrogen scheme. And we're an academic partner in that to look at two things, to look at the supply chain of businesses that could benefit from a big infrastructure project like that, but equally look at the ambition around skills. At the moment, nothing's been built. So we're talking about a flat piece of land, but what we are talking about is a flat piece of land with planning permission, with a grid connection, with an investor behind it, with an opportunity that is now being created that if we're being really ambitious, we could make Manchester the home for the AstraZeneca for hydrogen technologies somewhere around Trafford. You know, even our ambition as a university might be, is that we're at a bottleneck with the technology readiness level that we work towards. So I recently awarded Innovation Accelerator, which, you know, you guys have got one. I think that needs to work in synergy. Ours is about research and development with businesses who are large, who can sort of help with accelerating the ambition of UK in developing these technologies. It's then about capacity building, but equally it's about feeding into what a national hydrogen program could look like. And that's going to involve many, many minds and many, many opportunities. And then there's the inclusion of the skills aspect. Always include the skills aspect because the schools program's great, but it stops at 18. The net zero skills work we're doing is about understanding what type of skills people will need to invest in between now and 2030, which is, I think, the industrial, 2040, which is an industrial clusters day. You've got 2030, you've got 2038, you've got 2050. Already, there's, you know, we could be confused sat here, given the fact that there's so many dates to address to. But we relatively know what we're talking about. What about all of the people that don't? If anything, what hinders their progress on sustainability, net zero, hydrogen, or where, wherever it is, is the fact that we like to layer things up in confusion. We look at the spate of policies that exist around net zero and sustainability. There's 15, 20, each with their own portfolio and archetypes of roadmaps that they need to deliver. There isn't many programs, though, and I think that's what the UK is missing. It's missing dedicated programs that will deliver for businesses, for academic researchers, for regions that have these ambitious targets. And equally, for the opportunity that we're all trying to create, because it's not just about us, clearly, is it? You learn something from the children that visit the centre or you know, the people that you meet. When we first met, I learned loads from you. Every time I meet you, I learn something new from you. Because that's how we progress in my mind. Yeah. I don't know everything. And I clearly don't know everything because <laughs> there's certain skill sets that I just don't have. The best skill set I probably do have is I probably know how to talk to people. And that's the top of the list, whether you've got a PhD, whether you've done it, I think the ability to talk to people and understand what their problem is, because once you know someone's problems or someone's concerns, you can help them. And if you don't, we're just going to go, go round and round in circles and think, what have I actually achieved? So understanding that research has to play a role, uh, policy has to play a role, Businesses are critical to all this agenda. Government is critical to this agenda, but all you're looking for from government really is two things. It's the commitment that this is something that we that you're going to back because it gives the assurity to the businesses 
like yourselves, that this is an area that we should be vested into, into but it equally gives the assurance to those thousands and I'd say hundreds of thousands of people that are looking for career options. And I think that's 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 really the the, the next phase for this. It's it's we've got an idea of how to deliver net zero. We've got an idea of where the investment needs to go. We just we just need to ensure that we're not in a place where we've got all these big infrastructure projects announced and we're then scrambling around trying to find people to deliver them because net zero isn't just a challenge for the UK. It isn't just a challenge for Greater Manchester. It's a challenge globally. So even just in hydrogen terms, you know, we've got a dedicated UK hydrogen strategy. There's 52 other countries with a dedicated hydrogen strategy. They're either developed as a new strategy or many countries reissue them with a new and probably more substantial commitment. You know, the recent two examples around that is Japan. One of the, there's a big focus. We are doing a lot of work with Japan. There's a big delegation going out later in the year to Japan. But there's a big pillar around net zero. I'm interested in that pillar. I wouldn't say it's selfishly. Actually, it's the right way to do it is because Japan have made a commitment over the next 15 years to invest $107 billion in the hydrogen supply chain. Now, that allows you to break it down from components. So I would suggest you want to make a play in any other country's ambitions. And a lot of UK businesses are. So if you take you know, a success story like ITM Power, which has been involved in the hydrogen space for many, many years, they've just opened their German base today. They've got a base in the UK, in Sheffield. They've got ambitions to open one in the US. There's ambitions around Australia. Because as each and every single country accelerates their journey to net zero and they start investing in these technologies, the opportunities are there. So I don't think we, and that's equally from a mindset of a, whether you're a graduate or you're someone who's looking for employment, is there anything wrong in going where the work is or who's going to look after you the most or where the best opportunity? So if I'm a recent graduate and I've got the skill set, but there isn't the range of projects available for me here, but there are somewhere else in the world, I'd go there. But I think this is about ensuring that we've got a pipeline of skills to deliver the UK's ambitions around net zero. And yes, hydrogen has to play a key role within that. And I think then understanding, you know, bringing it back to, has my role changed over the last one? My role changes each day. My role wasn't about um, writing policies. It wasn't around designing innovation programs. It wasn't about, I was brought in for a three month contract to look at installing infrastructure or low carbon infrastructure into university campus. That's what gave me the idea and the impetus to sort of develop a partnership because I think there is clear, and I still believe the power of a partnership, if it's the right partnership, is phenomenal because it's taken 10 years, but we've got a, we've got four million pound asset. We've got lots of brilliant people who are academics and professional services working within the fuel cell center. The center is recognized nationally. It's recognized internationally. We've got partnerships in Japan. We've got partnerships in India. We've got partnerships in China. We've got partnerships in the US. We've got partnerships pretty much everywhere. And they are not just based around the core area of research. They're based around education. They're based around understanding that are we seen as a leading light in this space? I'd like to think so. But, and 
I'd like to say I've played a quite a key role in that, but I think is it is it is the job done? No, because the next big thing is really how do you create a space that features in national plans? And what I mean by that specifically is we've got great local relationships, we've got very good regional base, but we want to feature in the national ambition for what hydrogen UK looks like. Yeah. We want to be a clear, lead, clear leader in the expertise that we've got in the region. And that includes, you know, our electrochemical expertise, equally includes your edtech expertise. The fact that you're delivering hydrogen learning in the way you're delivering it is brilliant because it, many learners don't want to learn sat in a classroom or sat in a lecture theatre. Yeah. There's got to be different ways. And even the schools programme, when we did that, how do you excite a 13 to 18-year-old about hydrogen? It's boring gas. You're trying to promote a boring gas, and you have to talk about it in a way that... And I think what probably helped me is the fact that I've got teenage kids because communicating with them generally was, you know, in a... You have to be trying to be cool. <laughs> but, <laughs> and they, they're probably my worst critics. You know, what, what, what you're wearing, why you're wearing that. Well, we think you are. Stop trying to be twenty-one. Stop trying to be twenty. And it's that, it's that <laughs> bringing that kind of narrative or that kind of approach lets you understand different people. So you should be able to yep. be able to communicate with with kids, with teenagers, and you see a light on people's face when you're talking to them about an area that they have an interest in. So, you know, I can mm. give you a couple of examples of recent sort of sustainability graduates. I'm not even sustainability. They're, they were design graduates, or they weren't even graduates. They were interested in graphic design. Huge role to play in this sector, and they didn't even know it because this sector or the sustainability sector, their big, the biggest problem for it for many years has been the comms problem around it. Yeah. People don't know how to communicate the topic of sustainability because to a lot of the general public, sustainability means it's an addition to their energy bills or it's addition to their impacting on their back pocket because it's costing them more through taxation or other sort of areas. Yes, mm. probably true, but then what's, it's the cost of doing it versus the cost of not doing it, which if you add up the wider benefit of sustainability and net zero, so better healthcare, better all of the above, a better air quality, you know, there's areas in, I think it's, you know, if you put this down to people's homes, I give, you know, people very precious of their home life, aren't they? So if you imagine a, someone trying to sell their house, there's a for sale sign outside their house and out on that board, it was legal to say, or they had to have a, there was a legal uh, implication that says they have to say that the air quality outside their house is illegal. Yeah. Do you want your kids playing there? You don't do it. So it's, it's almost mm. like, it's almost having that mindset of, if you live in that area, you may as well smoke 60 cigarettes a day. That's how bad the air mm. quality is. That's then going to plummet their house prices. All of a sudden, they're going to become interested in becoming sustainable. So there's, that's, a, that's a bit extreme. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. But, you know, there's getting the messaging right is key. Getting, how do you portray the difference between green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, pink hydrogen, Grey hydrogen, mm. brown hydrogen. Yeah. There's multiple different colours of hydrogen. Ultimately, everyone wants green hydrogen, which is you know the academic strength we've got in this region because 
our new partnership is about ourselves working with the University of Manchester, working with national physical laboratories to bring in all of the expertise that we need to deliver green hydrogen at scale. And that's, but the messaging behind that is not everyone understands the differences in color of hydrogen. Not everyone understands that only 1% of global hydrogen production is green today, but that's okay as well because there's a $500 billion pipeline underpinning the investment in it. And that's set to grow by 2050 to around $1.4 trillion. That's not me saying it. That's just me picking up a paper for that. Deloitte have written around green hydrogen and recognizing that's the ambition. So is the topic going to change anywhere? No. Is this going to incentivize people to get a job in this sector? I should hope so, because you're going to get paid well. You're going to mm. produce something in your work life that will make you feel good about yourself. Because even from recent um, graduate research, you know, 90 or percent of all graduates want to work for a company with good sustainability credentials. You can no longer sort of, and if anything, equally, there's almost like a movement of students that have been formed, whether it's through schools. I mean, if, at the Green Summit, you know, you, the most powerful messaging I saw at the Green Summit was from children in primary school. What they were doing and where, what they were saying is powerful rather than me or someone who's older than me or someone who's min, you know, saying that to the same audience because that resonates with people because they're thinking, actually, this isn't about leaving the problem of sustainability net zero to those kids because they've got good ideas of, and they're going to be the future engineers of the future. We've got massive problems now, but this is a problem for it's going to get worse in their lifetime. It's going to get worse in their kids' lifetime. So this is about ensuring that we can leave the best legacy we can. And that's probably why 12 years later, I'm still there because I came in as a consultant, like I said, for three months, but that was 12 years ago. So the projects have kept me there, but I suppose falling in love with what I do and actually thinking that you want to pass on as much information to people and there's no IP around information. You know, the information where we've had chats, we talk, and that's the best thing. You, you tell someone, someone wants to come in and ask you a question. What is net zero? What is sustainability? What is hydrogen? What are the different colors of hydrogen? Is there an opportunity for my business? And well, yeah, that's just a conversation. There's no IP in that. And then we talk about the skills agenda. Skills is something that should be developed by everyone, but not owned by anyone. Mm -hmm. That's mm. my, and I think that should be everyone's view because yes, you want to retain talent, but if you're not helping to develop the huge, huge pipeline of talent that this sector requires, you know, you can talk about this from a corporate world. There's a big reason why all of those companies have come together and suggested that we create a net zero skills charter because their shared goal is we need to recruit people in multiple areas to deliver net zero. And it's every single function. Hydrogen is in there, of course it is, but it's just one vector. Now, is hydrogen the only solution? No, it's not. It's understanding that everything is a whole systems approach. So even if your core job function is something else, then you need to be able to understand other areas which are not aligned to your expertise. You know, I've had to learn you know, from academics, 
about chemistry, about physics, all of the things that I generally wouldn't have talked about in my 12 years previous to coming here, because I have to explain that in layman's terms to the politicians, mm. to, the, to the investors, who then will make a decision on whether we want to fund projects or not. And that's 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 kind of the area that we've, we've skated over, haven't we? So this is balls back down to investment, investment in people, investment in time, investment in R&D. Uh, yeah, Amma, I, go on. Go on now. I, was, no, gonna, I, was, I was just going to ask um, Amma, um, I was going through um, with your bio and whatnot. So yep. one of your missions is to make uh, Greater Manchester a centre of excellence in hydrogen yep. and fuel yep. cells. But part of this, you set up the programme High Schools. Could you take us through the work that you, uh, you've done with high schools? Yeah. So again, it boiled back down to the funding. So we had to find, there was no point in setting up a £4 million R&D facility unless you started thinking about skills at the same time. So at the same time, we applied for British Council funding uh, through the Erasmus Plus programme. We were awarded funding to build a transnational partnership. So I found partners in France, Italy, Belgium, Romania, Greece. Those were the core countries we found the partnership in. And those were either academic institutions or they were companies involved in the hydrogen fuel cell supply chain. What we basically then worked out is how do you teach um, a 13, what was our sort of target range? So we anything lower than 13, is, it gets too complicated. And yeah. mm-hmm. how do you teach a primary school child about hydrogen? I don't think it's really required. I think there is a way now, but I think we should do that through comics and things like that. But So this had to be about understanding the curriculum. And the curriculum is very difficult to change. So this had to be extracurricular. So we had to pull together a set of resources that not only the students who were 13 through to 18 found it fun and engaging, but equally you were then teaching teachers how to teach about this area. Now, when hydrogen was taught, and when I looked at this, it was taught as an exam question in physics or chemistry, and that was it. It wasn't really anything else, and it was an area that was touted as potentially being involved in sustainability, but there was lack of green hydrogen globally. So, and hydrogen's always been that that vector that's 10 years away, it's 10 years away, it's 10 years away. It's now not 10 years away because it's happening in reality because of the, the policy and investment around it. The resources, we then had to sort of work, understand how teachers already taught. So we did a survey, not just a survey, but we had the involvement of about 600 teachers from those different countries involved through multiple questionnaires, uh, multiple sort of interviews, how they taught and where would they see value in a, in a program like this. And then we went to choosing our topics. So we have 11 different areas that high schools covered, covers applications, history, storage, all of the, the sort of areas that are becoming commercial. Um, to allow them to sort of learn about. And then there was an element of, what's it, gamification, but there was an element of producing games that were a the, an expertise of one of the French universities was around pedagogy. And they brought their expertise in around teaching, producing a game that allowed the teachers to engage their students in a hydrogen game. Then it's about pulling together resources because each country has different sets of resources. If you take our partners in Romania, they didn't have, and they were a government agency, they didn't have funding to deliver 
or go and buy kits. So we've got these educational kits that we use when we bring in schools. But the high schools had to be developed in such a way that it could be taught and learned by anyone with an internet connection. So that's why it's open access, it's free for all, everything is, is available online. And if everyone anyone wants to copy it, they can do. So the recent example, I'll give you that. So the legacy of that program is we had visits from a region in Poland. So it's a, a local government um, region called Poznan. And we worked with their team and they said, well, we want to use the high school's resources in Poland. And we want to, they're already translated into those different languages, but they wanted to translate them into Polish. So we just gave them all the resources. They translated all of the resources into uh, Polish. That's now being shared with schools in Poland. So if you go, and that's now another sort of project. And again, that's what we're saying. The majority of countries that we speak to said they want to deliver their, a lot of their, their taught curriculum is taught in English. But not everyone wants to learn it in English and not everyone. So if there's an opportunity to then sort of create a legacy behind it, say, give that to, so whenever I have meetings with multiple countries or multiple areas, say, look, this is a set of resources that we developed. If you want to use them, they're there online. Yeah. They're free. And if you want to go one step further and have them translated, we'll just give you the resources. And what that, was the response to some of the young people that, that were on the programme as well? How What was the feedback like, they got they, from them? I think they suddenly get enthused by hydrogen more and more because they're hearing it more in the media. So yeah. when Formula One, for example, you know, they see you guys announced that the future of Formula One might be heading towards hydrogen. Or when they watch a film and hydrogen's mentioned, in, in fact, in a lot of ways, films always represented hydrogen. I think there's yeah. a James Bond film. That was a. This is a really bad example, but James Bond, uh, James Bond crashed into a hotel which was powered by hydrogen fuel cells. It was a big explosion. That's not going to happen. Yeah. But that's you know the the whole thing about uh, the social side of it, which we haven't even got to yet. We need to get over that. Is getting them infused in, and that's why we brought those experts together because this was about developing games and doing extracurricular activities that would help their them understand hygiene, but equally help their ambitions around working in sustainability in general. Yeah. And I think teachers were looking for resources like this anyway. They just didn't know where to go. What this does yeah. is brings it all together. So these resources are, again, uh, even shared centrally through the European Commission. And that, that's that's brilliant because anyone can just go there and learn it. Anyone who... And when we had the teachers who were kind of showing how they they've tried to influence the curriculum and i think a big part of what we then decided to is we recruited an ex-school teacher to help us with that ambition because it's all good and well having the idea but then you need someone who has the mindset of a teacher i could never be a teacher i don't think mm. i have and i think i'm quite patient but i don't think i could ever be a teacher so you need someone to be able to understand how to teach kids of that age and it's different you know, ranges of age and it's different ways. The, yeah. I think the challenging part of that was how do you infuse a 15-year-old or 16-year-old where here in the UK through to one of the other partner countries where the curriculum is completely different. So we had to design like something that was quite um, sort of centralised and something that would appeal to multiple cultures and multiple different people 
Um, and it and it works. It works well. They be they're used by thousands of students and thousands of teachers on a yearly basis now. So, so Emma, uh, you know, you, you've spoken, spoken a lot of gems, so a lot of nuggets that I've picked up today and a lot of interesting things that, you know, I wasn't aware of before. And, uh, and I'm thinking from anyone who's listening to this who is maybe runs their own business or is thinking about setting up their own business mm. and, you know, they've heard a lot about hydrogen, but they're not, but they don't, they don't know too much about it or about fuel cells, yeah. you know. Could you explain what are some of the advantages of using, let's say, hydrogen or hydrogen fuel cell over other energy storages like batteries or ICEs? Okay, so if you t- we'll split this into two areas. So the the area where I think hydrogen is going to make the most difference is from a transport term is heavy 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 goods vehicles. Now, a fifty kilowatt. So if you're talking about sizing a fuel cell accordingly, it makes more sense when you're pulling things of scale. So if you, mm. what you need, and a lot of the component parts for a electric vehicle um, and a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle are, are the same. This, it still has a small battery inside. What displaces the large, heavy battery, so you imagine a 50 kilowatt battery under a truck. So a battery in a refuse truck weighs on average about 15 tons. A fuel cell, which is of the similar size, I can hold in one hand. About this, and I'm you know, these guns can't hold 50 tons. I'll tell you that now. (laughs) So then I would need a tank at the back of that truck, which would be sized accordingly, and that would have to contain kilograms of hydrogen. And then through that electrochemistry that happens between the fuel cell and the hydrogen supply, it creates electricity which drives that vehicle forward exactly the same. So when you're driving a hydrogen fuel cell car and an electric car or a truck, it feels exactly the same. Now, the difference is, once my hydrogen runs out, I can instantly refuel that. In the same amount of time it takes me to refuel a petrol or diesel vehicle. The challenge of it right now is we need to bring down the cost of the hydrogen per kilogram. And that's what the incentives in in the US are example for it. They're all doing one thing. All the subsidy across the world is trying to deliver one thing around hydrogen. And that is bring hydrogen to about $2 or £2 per kilogram. At the moment, it's about 12 or 13. Now, that's from a transport term. From an industrial energy term, this is about, and this is why hydrogen features in the energy security strategy. We can generate a lot more hydrogen locally. If we've got Mm. the renewables or the uh, offshore wind in the electrical grid, we don't have to be reliant on gas. And gas is bad. So if you take then where its use is like, it's in heat networks, it's in big pipelines to deliver industrial level decarbonization to the hard to abate areas, steel manufacturing, cement manufacturing, oil refineries, all of those big, big heavy manufacturing businesses that are very reliant upon gas, which is bad, it could be displaced with hydrogen. But those businesses, you would need A, a stable and regular supply of hydrogen, and B, you probably need a big pipeline like Hynet as an example. So Hynet is a yeah. 0.9 billion pound hi- hi- uh, hydrogen pipeline that will deliver industrial level decarbonization to 10 major industrial businesses. That's where hydrogen roll best fits. But then you've got 
multiple different opportunities being created for fuel cell, like passenger vehicles, if you want to have that instant refueling capability. Now, with an electric vehicle, you will always have some downtime. Even with the fastest charger, it's going to take 30 minutes to fully charge your vehicle. And it's still... We're saying we have to have green hydrogen. In the same mind, yep. I'm going to say you need green electricity to charge these vehicles. There is no point. But there is a point, actually. When I'm driving my electric car in a city centre environment, there's no emissions. What if mm. the electricity that I've used to charge that car has come from coal? I'm not really solving the challenge then, am I? So no. that's the well-to-wheel argument. It applies to electric vehicles and it applies to hydrogen fuel vehicles. They're the same family. So how petrol and diesel have always lived together, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles and electric vehicles will live in the same fashion because trucks, buses lend themselves sometimes better to hydrogen, whereas passenger vehicles are perfectly suitable to EVs unless you want that instant refueling capability. Then I'd say the other area is looking at... Um, possible areas, and I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon, hydrogen role in domestic heat. Now, hydrogen boilers exist, there's no gas in the network. Now, the National Infrastructure Commission produced this report recently and said, actually, hydrogen role in domestic properties is totally unsuitable, and yep. the best solution to decarbonize that today is heat pumps. But again, that's fraught with challenges. So there's still up and down with sort of trajectories in that policy area, but in order to get involved in the supply chain, you're going to need people who can build pipelines, people who can develop tanks. The makeup of a hydrogen tank is completely different to a conventional tank. You're talking about Kevlar, carbon fiber reinforcement, so the hydrogen can't escape. Hydrogen cylinders, you know, this, we're talking about compressed gases, hydrogen for aviation. The future of aviation is heading towards hydrogen. So there's, there's multiple sectors that are going to benefit from hydrogen. We but have there, to. But there has to. But there has to be that incentive. There has to be that incentivization. Incentivization. You mentioned it. But you mentioned it before about you know Japan has pumped 107 billion into their hydrogen supply yeah. chain. America are pumping billions. You know, yeah. Middle East are. You know, but the UK isn't is. isn't doing any. It isn't it, to that scale. It, 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 it is. It, it's not to that scale. Strategy. No. So there, there is a dedicated strategy, but yeah. what is being designed right now is the ambition of a national hydrogen program. Now, there will mm. be funding, in, and there is funding now. So if you take the Trafford project I mentioned before, that secured funding from the Department of Net Zero Security to fund the under the hydrogen business model, mm -hmm. um, to fund the price difference in hydrogen than the price of gas. So that's how a lot of organizations are agreeing people to take their hydrogen, because you're selling it to them at the same price they're paying for gas. Yeah. Incentives will work in different ways because you will need funding to fund R&D facilities. What the UK needs massively, and this is a way to look at it in my world, from an R&D perspective, we're now starting to see investments in gigafactories for batteries, aren't we? And yeah. one of the things that pump primed that market was the Faraday battery challenge. You almost need an equivalent for hydrogen fuel cells. You need a Faraday battery challenge type equivalent and that's an ambition that I'm trying to develop out with our partners for what we can build on and what looks like success for our Innovation Accelerator. Yep. The Innovation Accelerator is about 
creating this electrochemical hydrogen cluster in Greater Manchester and bringing in expertise from all over the UK. The next succession plan is, could we, Manchester, be a place where a national hydrogen centre is created, but it will not be in a city centre because you're talking about a 40, 50,000 square foot facility, which provides complete open access for those companies that currently are involved in the supply chain, but they have to go abroad for their testing capacity. That's what the Faraday battery challenge. And then you will see investments in gigafactories. And we will almost probably need an industrial strategy specifically for fuel cell electric vehicles and industrial strategy for, you know, where hydrogen's role is best suited to. But I think we're getting there. Oh, we're definitely heading in the right direction. It's just, that's what I'm saying. Each of those 52 roadmaps have different ambitions and different funding. But even with those, if I take India, I take Japan, I take the US, these have been announced. The challenge is for a lot of the businesses there and here is they want to find what their place in that supply chain looks like. So you have to really break that $107 billion up and say, let's look at out of that $107 billion, what is the commitment to device level electrochemistry, so green hydrogen sort of projects? What's the commitment to pipeline type projects? What's the commitment? And then you'll find your place. There is something for everyone in, in and around hydrogen. So even take a business that is involved in petrol and diesel vehicles. I mean, you guys, you know, you race, you race petrol go-karts. Imagine a company that sells to an OEM that makes trucks. All of a sudden that truck manufacturer says, I want to go into the hydrogen world. Well, unless that business changes its portfolio or expands its portfolio to start developing hydrogen tanks, they're going to lose their contract. So it's that, it's that, that, that piece. And it's, it's a big information exercise everyone needs to sort of pull together saying what strengths do we have so what what does that the types of businesses that we support as an example they're not fuel cell technically all fuel cell companies are all electrolytes companies they're companies that make components they make materials they make component parts and i think is there an opportunity for new companies to be formed absolutely um but it's understanding when they hit go because that program is currently being designed and there is funding available, but there's funding. You need to start looking at this with an international lens. We've got our own challenges to solve. Yeah, We've got to deliver 10 gigawatts of low carbon hydrogen in the UK by 2030. Five gigawatts of that has to be green. That's only six years away. So you need more companies, more people, everything we've talked about for the last hour. Amma, I wanted to ask, uh, like, as you, your experience as the uh, director of um, yeah. Manchester Fuel Cell, the Manchester Fuel Cell Innovation Centre, yeah. uh, what would you say is the most exciting or innovative project that you've worked on over the last year? You know what? There's multiple R and D projects that I think you know that that sounds like a great project. The one that probably excites me is absolutely nothing to do with R and D. It's the skills piece, and I think it's that working on net zero skills and informing people what net zero skills is. I think it's made my mindset shift to say, start with skills. That should be a top priority. Yeah. Because then that defines your R&D projects. And in terms of sort of the types of projects we're talking about, I'd say the innovation accelerator is my sort of exciting one at the moment, because the opportunity, it's very hard to innovate within 24 months, especially in a sector like this. 
yeah. or 23 months or you know as time progresses by the time things are signed what is the most exciting thing is what succession looks like so i'm almost looking at five years down the line or two years down the line when this accelerator finishes this shouldn't just be another accelerator that gets funding and then we stop we've yeah. got to sort of create that assurance that although there's a national program in development by government, we're almost designing our own. So we're not actually waiting for that. We're almost saying, look at what we've done over the last 10 years. Look at pulling together what the opportunity for hydrogen across Greater Manchester looks like, and then selling that vision to the world to say, you're interested in developing or deploying your tech. This is the vision that's going to help it happen. You're interested in working in this space, this is the vision that's going to help it happen, or you're interested in developing your technology, we've got a plan for life after our innovation accelerator. Because the whole point in that accelerator is is a pilot. We have to prove to everyone, to ourselves, to the rest of the UK, to the world, you know, why we were the right place to be chosen as a pilot for this innovation accelerator and why hydrogen was was a good idea. Absolutely. So, Amma, you know, for some, for a young person listening to this podcast is thinking, do you know what? I'm really, really interested in, in hydrogen, but I would love to rise up the ranks and, you know, you know, become a director or, you know, a, a, an innovation centre. What would you say are the three core skills that are required to do a job like yours? Number one, people skills. Number two, never be afraid of speaking your mind because and number three just broaden your interest and understanding of what sustainability is and what net zero is and you'll find your place and whichever whether it's an r&d center you want to lead or you want to be a consultant or you want to be a a graphic designer or a race car driver anything those things the, the top two are something that i'd say has probably nothing to do with my uh professional sort of skills that's just something i was i suppose it's just something that i was taught and you know you you try and have a voice so you try and develop your people skills because it's that same old ideology isn't it people if if people don't like you they won't work with you yeah yeah yeah. you have to be able to communicate to different audiences all the time and from the first time I spoke, I mean, don't get me wrong. The first time I had a speaking slot many, many years ago, I was nervous. I was, you know, shaking all of that. That still happened even, you know, 10 years later. It still happened at, you know, wasn't shaking all the time. Now, you know, you could put me in an audience and you, you're exactly the same. We can go into an audience because you've learned that to feel assured of what you're saying is what people want to hear. Because yeah. you will, the style of teaching people isn't just, I could sit here and deliver a presentation and just talk from the screen. My biggest bugbear is people who do that. I can just say, look at a set of slides and all you're doing is reading the slides. That's not what people are there to do. They're less looking at the screen. They're more looking at you and how you deliver the message you want to deliver. So have have less slides possible. But that interest in sustainability in net zero, I'd say if you have an interest, look and see who you want to have a conversation with because I would say the benefit of being in somewhere like Manchester, there isn't many people that turn you away to have a conversation. Um, that Yes, it's challenging in many ways, but 
people generally will speak to you. I mean, that's how we got talking. And we've gone off on tangent on multiple different areas. You know, I've sat with Blair at a when we were on a, a speaking at the same conference, um, and we were just, you know, there's there's a level of what you deliver at the conference, and then there's just a random conversation that you have that leads to another conversation. We we had the same when we were at the the Labour Party thing, uh, yeah. business. Yeah. So we just, you know, it's it's that it's that narrative, isn't it? Bring bring a bit of humour and less seriousness to this agenda. People think it's dead serious, and we need to stop having those sector specific. Should it should we be having a green skills conference, or should it just be a skills conference to say that every single skill is going to be green, or should we be talking about sustainability and have its own special place? It should be sustainability in an ideal world. We're not there yet, and I think for someone looking at a career in sustainability for years. They've not had a direction to really go up because it's, you know, for the people who are in it now, fall into it by accident or unless you were actively involved in an area, you know, which is STEM based that you that piqued your interest. Whereas I think it's easier to get into sustainability now because there's a lot more focus on the sector. There's yeah. the ambition of delivering net zero. And I think it's, I'd say my strongest recommendation to people is understand what net zero is and what sustainability is and i guarantee you will find that it's such an exciting place to be excellent so what i've got for that interest in sustainability net zero people skills and what was the final one never be afraid to speak your mind never be afraid to speak your mind love that love, love that so Anna, we're going on to the bonus part of the podcast well, I'm going to ask you three questions, three fun questions, but one of them I do judge you on. And we're going to start with okay. that first question. So please, Blair, do the honours. Drum roll, please. Right, Emma, here you go. No pressure. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? No. She's passed the question. Great, Great. you're passed. <laughs> No, never. It's just wrong, isn't it? It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Mm. I think you know we've had about. I think this might be the twenty-six, twenty-six podcast. You know we've had about seven people saying pineapple belongs on a pizza. No. I've thrown no. them out of the room. Definitely the podcast. So <laughs> um, no, great, great stuff. Now this is this is an interesting one. I'd like to ask guests. So tonight you're going home. You're going to throw a dinner party. You can invite three guests, either dead or alive. Which three guests are you inviting? All right, I'm gonna. This is probably the, the my first two guests would always be the first same first two guests. My two sons, I'd always invite them. They're like yeah. you know, like legends to me. And then the third one, um, I'd have to say their mum, but obviously I've not chosen their mum. <laughs> Because you might hear this and just kill me. <laughs> I'd say, who would I actually really want to have? I'd say Elon Musk. And do you know why? Elon Musk. Think, mm. The only reason why, because I feel, I think he is, obviously, clearly, he's a, he's a, he's one of the most intelligent men that, he's very, very intelligent, but he's mad as hell. Okay. So just to get that mind to have a 15 minute conversation with someone who is 
it's less about him probably being the richest man in the world. I'm just thinking he's, I think he's mad, but I think he's clearly got some brilliant ideas. But yeah. I just want to know what makes him so mad. <laughs> that's that's probably it. But I'd say the first two are definitely Mazons. I'd be interested to see what the debate would be like because he's so anti-hydrogen. And yeah, yeah, EV. yeah. So and that's I the debate I probably want to have. Your sons would just be looking like, be yeah, yeah, yeah. back and forth <laughs> <today>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I learn something of them all the time. You know, it's the fact that it's, it's a new way of doing things in whether mm. it's tech terms. And I think, you know, you, when you start thinking about how tech or sustainability, you imagine the driving test, you know, in, in future yeah. years, the driving test won't be done. The manual driving test is going to be obsolete because no cars yeah. will be manual. Um, and there's, you know, they, they, I wouldn't even call them cars. You know, to me, cars were proper. This is really showing my age. You know, and you could smell petrol and like all of that. Whereas new cars, it's about push of a button and press D and you're off. It's like a PlayStation on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the way, that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> I love that. Your sons are teaching you. You're teaching yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. They're teaching you. Oh, listen day. to their music. Well, what are you listening to that for? <laughs> I had this, uh, this, or if I listen to something that they've introduced to me, why are you trying to be young? Yeah, I was like, well, it's music. <laughs> I listen to music. <laughs> love it, love it, I love it. So, and then the final question, Abba. If you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? Honest to God, the best superpower I could have I've it's stopped the war in the world. Mm -hmm. That's because with Satya talking about future generations where there's you know wars, the the horrible thing that's you know, look at the state of the world, you know, mm -hmm. it's 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 horrible. Is that you know to see children in in that much pain and thinking, I'd say if I could one wish or it's a superpower, it's to stop the war in the world. Yeah, world peace. Mm -hmm. World peace, yeah. Should be a dream of everybody on the, in this yeah. planet. Just to stop wars. No one, no we're one trying to save there. the planet, but we're killing it at the same time. So there's... It's very it's true. It's very, it's very true, yeah. Um, yeah. If only there was a magic button where you could just stop yeah, Exactly. That. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, most of these wars, they're about money, aren't they? Everyone wants... It's, it's there's true. Money. Anyway. Well, that, that is definitely for another podcast. Because that is another I, podcast. I could go. On, I could go on a tangent about that, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be another hour, another hour of the podcast. But Anna, thank you so much for being no the guest. Oh, thank you for seeing me being your podcast. This has been an excellent episode. And for anyone who's listening to this now, Amma, and they wanted to, you know, maybe get in touch with you, or you know, what are some of the best social platforms for people to reach out to you? LinkedIn. Like, time for you to plug yourself. Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn. Um, I am I am on Instagram, but again, that's another thing that my kids take the mick out me for saying, "Why are you on Instagram? You're you know you're old and stuff." I was like, "I'm following me on Instagram. I'll be on Instagram." So professionally, LinkedIn or Twitter, or as it's now known as X, you can find me. Um, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a you know someone on Hitman's Hitman's yeah. checklist. No, thank you. Honestly, I appreciate both of your times. And and I'm sure next time we see each other, it'll just be another fun conversation as we always have. So 
Thank you. Definitely. You know what? There's so much more I, I want to ask you. So we'll definitely have to get you on on a future yeah. episode of the podcast and even talk about some more of the crazy and exciting projects going on in the fuel cell center. Perfect. Thank you very Thanks much. for coming on, Emma. No yeah. worries. Thank you very right. much both of you. Take, Take care. Take care, Emma. Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 So, Emma Gaffer, what did you think of our guest on today's episode of the podcast? No, it was very interesting. I mean, um, one of the first takeaways is what he was saying. I mean, he's been in this industry for um, 23 years, but it's almost like he was just, it's like he was saying he, he never really meant to go into a career within their sustainability. It's almost, you're saying it's almost something by chance that he, he went into this um, area and because you mentioned he wasn't really from, let's say, not like academic, was it like an academic background, was he? It was more, he's more, it's one of his main skills is that he likes like speaking to people. And like, that's almost like how we met that Amara ourselves are just from like networking events and we just built a relationship from there. And he's just taking that, uh, his, his skills, just, you know, networking and speaking with people and just made it. And then just went down this path of it in terms of the, uh, the sustainability route and fair play to um Amo and where he is with his career now and being a director of a four million pound innovation center so he's doing a uh, massive trailblazer in that area and again uh he's one of the only people from a Bain background who's currently excelling in this sort of area and also what he was mentioning as well is his free core skills so it's not just it's like his interpersonal skills and it's also not having that fear of failure, I just find that really inspiring. And we've had that with a lot of our guests, that you just have to put yourself out there and basically not be afraid to, you know what, take risks. Mm -hmm. And that's how you excel in these sorts of careers. And I believe his third skill was have almost like a ground in net zero and always be willing to pick up more and more information about um, in areas of sustainability and net zero because there's always that information you can pick up. And, and this is still relatively a new um, concept as well with um, net zero. So there's always information you can pick up all by yourself now. Yeah, so no, it was really insightful. Uh, I definitely learned a lot on the podcast. And, you know, it's great to hear about how the, the Fuel Cell Innovation Centre came to be. You know, it was an 18-month journey from you know, getting the proposal awarded to them, so pro awarded on funding yeah. to actually the facility being built, you know, it's opened in, in, in 2018, you know, and a bit more information about, you know, the, the benefits of hydrogen. Obviously, we're working with hydrogen, but, you know, talk about, you know, the strategies that they've uh, created in Man Greater Manchester, and, you know, how that has led to uh, a, a national strategy in, in the UK. Um, talking about some of the stuff like the net zero skills charter and you know how one of the core emphasis around AMA's work is not just about the research and development and you know the technologies being used in hydrogen within the fuel center but a core thing is around skills yeah and that we need to develop people to work within the hydrogen supply chain which is going to be a huge growth sector the whole net zero um sector is going to be huge and about it was about saying that you know what there will be lots of new jobs created, which are going to pay have a lot of money. But it's about saying current current jobs now, people working in the current environment, how can we switch them into a green career? So let's say if you're working in sustainability, uh, sorry, working in finance, 
you know, you could do green finance, which same work that you're doing, but you know, you're uh, doing accounting for within within the whole net zero net zero piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had a chat about you know what other countries are doing to invest in their hydrogen supply chains. So you know, Japan are, put, are about to put in 107 billion into the hydrogen into their own hydrogen economy. The US is pumping in billions into hydrogen. And the UK is doing a bit, but you know what? It's uh, it's it's nowhere near those other two countries. And um, but yeah, how you know the government's agenda? We need to do a lot more um, in terms of uh, net zero. And you know, we're Greater Manchester is one of the only city regions with you know its own hydrogen strategy. It's got its own purpose-built yeah. hydrogen uh, R and D center. You know, one of the only ones in the country. And, you know, wants to create some very, you know, want, we want to create some very big businesses here in Manchester who predominant, predominantly working around, you know, net zero technologies and hydrogen. But it's like, what is level of support that, that they need and require? And, uh, you know, this is all going to be, you know, it takes ambitious, ambitious organizations, you know, to, to make that vision come to reality. And you did mention Amory really, that he's um, one of the main um, focuses that he he wants to um, do with Greater Manchester is essentially make it the the hub for net zero, make Manchester the hub for net zero, and then almost use the example of Manchester to branch net zero out in the world, like you were mentioning um, with Japan and whatnot. And and also um, one of his side projects as well being the um, what he uh, calls the the high is high school but it's not obviously high it's high high school with hy instead of the h-i-g-h so what i found interesting with that project specifically is um you're saying you're working in different countries such as um it's like romania and uh, greece and how he was basically because what was interesting to me is how, uh, i was saying like it's hard to teach like young people about um skills within hydrogen because people let's say from under the age of 13 might find hydrogen quite well not quite as interactive and it's really hard to um teach hydrogen to young people mm-hmm. and it's just the engagement of getting young people from the age of 13 onwards engaged in hydrogen show them the opportunity that's out there and even just the teachers because i believe you were saying you're working with as many as um 600 teachers in this project and it's just finding ways in which you can it's almost train these uh, teachers into the, this uh, concept and then make it as fun as in, in engaging with these young people as, as much. So you're basically building that new talent pipeline that's uh, of these different skills coming into the future. So um, it's really interesting to hear uh, Amma's story and it'd be great to have him back on the podcast uh, sometime in the future. Most definitely. And then the last aspect is, you know, uh, in terms of the skills piece, we should be asking businesses, we should be bringing businesses to the conversation and asking them, you know, what skills are required? Um, what skills do, are you looking for? And maybe we can help with training. So that's one of the things that we're doing with our projects, our Innovation Greater Manchester project is developing a hydrogen ed tech platform using augmented reality. So you can learn those skills virtually before you go off and apply them in the real world so you know same to businesses who are already involved in that net zero space is that what are the core skills that you're, you're looking for and how can we help you to develop that next generation uh of best talent pipeline 
Um, so we should be involved in businesses in all aspects of, of that. Um, and you know what? Again, great, great episode of the podcast. And we'll have to invite Amar on, on definitely on a future episode to talk more uh, about some of the stuff in depth, about some of the stuff we spoke about today. But that's all we've got time for. You know, hope you've enjoyed this episode. So make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to The Blair Project on all of our social channels. And uh, make sure to share this podcast um, with people that you may know. Because, um, yeah, it was a great episode. So if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube at The Blair Project. And we're on Instagram, TikTok, and X, formerly known as Twitter, at Get Me Motoring. So my name's been Niall Henry. And my name is Blair Henry. And we'll catch you later. See you later, guys. If you've liked today's episode, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. The Blair Project is all is on all major social media platforms, including Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube at The Blair Project. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and, and TikTok. Yes, we are on TikTok at Get Me Motoring. If you'd like to follow myself individually, I am on Instagram at Niall Henry and also LinkedIn uh, at Niall Henry as well. And if you want to follow myself, I'm on Instagram as BlairHenry underscore 97 and also on um, LinkedIn as just Blair Henry. So we look forward to having you on the next episode. So stay tuned. Take care. Until next time.